1: This is Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana.
2: Kate, we're in person right now for the first time.
1: <laughs> yes, listeners don't know this, but if you feel like there's an extra special spark in chemistry in this top of show, it is because we are sitting in the same room.
2: Yeah, for the, for the first time since we started doing the show. Um, Cause you live in South Carolina, I live in Florida. Mm-hmm. Seems like they're close, they're not. We're... Still a plane ride away. Yes, that's true. So Kate, you've been a reporter for a long time. I think so, yeah. You have, and you've, I'm sure, talked to a number of coaches and people who go by the name Coach. Which, even, by the way, I still use for people that coach me. Uh, that was going to be my <laughs> question. Well, that, that was sort of going to be my question. So my first thing that I wanted to tell you because – Spoiler alert, we have Muffet McGraw on this episode. (laughs) The Muffet McGraw? The Muffet McGraw. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the other Muffet McGraws in the world? (laughs) The only Muffet that I know. Um, I interviewed Muffet McGraw for Sports Illustrated about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer. And I called her coach the entire time because I worked for the Notre Dame athletic department when I was a student. And to me, she was always Coach McGraw. And there's always been this like, kind of jokey social media thing of people making fun of Mm. NFL coaches and college football coaches because they demand to be called coach outside of the, you know, their players sometimes, which feels very silly for the coach to make you call them coach. Muffet didn't do this. She wasn't like, you have to call me coach. I have a PhD. Call me doctor. <laughs> exactly. I just felt like I had to call her coach. So I'm wondering as a reporter or just like as a former player, like do you still call coaches coach? Like if you saw Gino Oriyama or if you saw Kim Mulkey, would you call them coach? Would you call them Gino and Kim? Like, what do you call them? Well, let's leave Kim Mulkey out of this. I don't know what I would call Kim Mulkey. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I have a
1: very interesting relationship with the word coach. On one hand, I love that it exists, the idea that once someone is a coach, you can always just call them coach because uh, even famous coaches, I sometimes forget their names. And even if I don't forget their, I'm not gonna forget certain famous coaches' names, but in the moment before you have to address them, a lot of things can go through your head. It's like, should I call her Pat or should I call her Miss Summit? Like, what am I calling this person? And then coach just pops into your head and it's a catch-all. So that is mostly how I use the word coach, as a stand-in for my own issues with understanding how to address people in certain moments. My coach who I played for, and yes, it's sort of an internet trope, but it's also a point of contention among former players, is continuing to call, and it was Coach Barry, to continue to call Coach Barry Coach Barry, mm. And some have, they think, leveled up and matured, and now they call her Seal. Her name is Adele Cecilia. Hi, Coach Barry. And I don't do that. Like, I don't call my mom Kathy. Like, she has played a role in my life, and her role is mom. That is the way I look at it. I don't go around and, like, some football coach who I don't know and has not played a role in my life. Right. I'm not calling them, hey, coach, unless I've forgotten their name. Mm. But I will call Coach Barry, Coach Barry or Coach, probably for the extent of our relationship because she played a role in my life.
2: Yeah, that actually makes me feel a lot better because, you know, I was a little embarrassed calling Muffet McGraw coach, but she played a role in your life. She did. Like she was Coach McGraw when I was in college working, you know, in the athletic department. So that that does make me feel better. It kind of is a good comparison to calling your childhood friends, parents, Mr. or Mrs., blah, 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 after you've reached the age of like 30, which seems weird. Like you, you don't call people Mr. and Mrs. whatever when you're both adults. But it just, it sounds weird to call like, hey, Jim, or like, hey, no, yeah.
1: I don't know, something nostalgic to me about calling Coach Barry Coach Barry. I don't want to destroy that, what that is.
2: I wonder if Neil Ivey still calls her Coach McGraw. I'm I'm guessing that she does. We should, we should, you know what? I'm going to look at her, I'm going to look at her Twitter account. See how she
1: uh, addresses Muffet, who I call Muffet because she didn't play this role in my life. But if she asked me to call her coach, you definitely I would, although I would then go tell people that she asked me to call
2: her coach. <laughs> okay, Neil Ivy's last tweet says, Coach, I'm inspired by you and empowered because of you, and then blah blah blah, congratulating her.
1: Okay, now go to Skylar Diggins' Twitter because the, because Muffet Muffet was just honored by Notre Dame, so I feel like it's a it's a it's a ripe time for checking to see how her former players so have been addressing her on tw- and we can solve this once
2: and for all. I can't wait, what's Sky Diggs, right? Yeah, okay, Sky I Diggs. Yeah. Sky Diggs. Sky Dig. Pardon. Hmm. She hasn't tweeted about Muffet lately.
1: Oh, damn. Oh,
2: wait. She retweeted Neil Ivey. That says coach. She rubber
1: stamped. She rubber stamped damn. the coach, but we can't say for certain <laughs> that she still calls her coach.
2: Should we tell the people what we have in store for them today? We should. We have a really good conversation with Muffet about um, UConn and <laughs> privilege. Potentially. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. something you should stick around for. I don't know what that voice yeah, I just did <laughs> We're just was. doing a weird
1: thing. We have an extra extra about a sliding doors moment in college basketball history. And maybe we'll
2: talk about some of our own sliding doors moments.
1: Yes. And don't miss our special ad keeping in theme with today's episode, which seems to be college coaches. And of course, Gwyneth Paltrow will come up if we talk about sliding doors. Is this a cultural reference? You have I no idea that... I don't know. P- Goop? <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow was in a movie called Sliding Doors.
2: Oh. Okay. Yeah,
1: we'll look to see when that came out and we'll circle back around on that. Have you ever walked into a sliding door? (laughs) I've walked into a screen door.
2: Oh no. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I have. You You always have to pretend that you're not hurt. Like a good guy, I'm gonna reference Ellen here and she says, it is amazing how embarrassment trumps pain. (laughs) Because you will not admit your pain because you're so embarrassed and you have to be like, it's fine, I'm fine. Can somebody call the doctor? (laughs)
2: Sliding Doors came out in 1998. That is why it's a cultural reference you don't know.
3: Damn. Hey, it's Shamiqua Holesclaw. For me, it was younger because growing up here, you know, New York City, the mecca of basketball, and I I can't remember, like, uh, you know, Sonny Vaccaro coming around, and you had all these tournaments and stuff, and all the guys are playing. You had, like, Lamar, um, Ron Artest, Meta, and other guys too, other other guys that went on to play college stuff. But I was like, yo, why do why do they be going to these tournaments at pl? And all these guys show up in this bunch of shoes, and like no one asks me about some shoes. And I'm like, a pretty good player playing with a bunch of boys, but I didn't get it because me being younger, I'm thinking like I'm just as good as they are. You know, I, I'm young, like shoot, I'm good. I'm the leading scorer on my team. But it was just like that's when the separation was. You know, it was drawn. Like okay. You can only play with the boys to a certain age because you're gonna go play with girls. And for me, that like, like, why? You know, I, I remember Sonny Vacaro. he tells a story. That's when he did, what was it, the ABCD camp? And I'm like, Sonny, I'm chasing him down around in my neighborhood. Like, hey, 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 can I come to camp? And he's like, uh... You can't come. He's like, let me tell you. let I me mean, He sat there. He's like, you're going to be good. You see the, the Tennessee and the, the UConn. He's like, but my, I have a boys camp. You cannot come. You can't play with the boys. And I'm like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. I play with them all the time. And he's like laughing. He's like, you're going to be great. And I mean, what he was saying, I, I get it or whatever, but I wasn't taking no for an answer. And I was just like always harassing whenever I saw him. So... For me, at a young age, you know, you don't really understand, you know, that if I'm out there every day playing, you know, I would say like 12, 13 years old, running circles around some of the guys, when you're telling me I can't do it, it it broke my heart. I'm not going to lie. And I think that's something also that like fueled that fire of
1: competitiveness, you know. Our guest on today's episode is a legend of the game. From her early days in Philly, the original women's hoops hotspot, to her epic career at Notre Dame, where she won 936 games, and her teams made seven appearances in the NCAA title game, and they won two NCAA titles. All right, let's do it, let's bring her on. Muffet McGraw.
2: Okay, well, actually, the first thing I wanted to ask you was about your weekend. So you got inducted into the Notre Dame Ring of Honor yesterday. And you also found out during that induction that they're going to be building a Muffet McGraw statue. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Was that a surprise? It was a surprise. And of
4: course, we have statues for all the football coaches who won national championships. And People started joking a little bit, you know, Oh, when's your statue going to come? And I was like, hey, this is Notre Dame, man. That's football. <laughs> so, um, you know, to have a woman, I think it's really, it's such a huge honor for me to be the first woman to have a statue.
2: I tried to think about if there are any other statues of women on campus and other than the Virgin Mary, I think.
4: (laughs) Mary Mary on the Dome
2: and the the Grotto and then Muffet McGraw. I think that's pretty fitting, honestly. She hasn't won any national championships. I'm interested in the pro. you probably don't know the whole process of having your statue made, but I guess
1: considering how much angst I have over making sure like pictures turn out well. I feel like they they should lay out the process for you because like the editing process seems like it could be
4: challenging. Could really be. And how do you handle a skirt and heels? That's what I'm wondering (laughs) because that's how I definitely want it to look. And, you know, I looked at some of the football statues yesterday, just kind of walking around and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I want it to look a little bit like me. So we'll see. And how, you know, how, where is it going to be and how, how's it going to look? A lot of questions. I'm not going to be crouching. I got that question a lot yesterday. That's kind of my <laughs> sideline thing, but I will not be doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so
1: much for doing this. We're thrilled to have you. And I know Jess is especially thrilled because she's, as you probably know, a Notre Dame grad. She's she's a homer for the Irish. <laughs> That's right. I am
4: a big homer. <laughs> oh my God. Can- so I'm, I'm on the ACC network now. And every time Notre Dame comes up, I'm like, we've got to do this better. And we've got to do And they're like, you know, you're not coaching anymore. That has been my biggest struggle, honestly, is not being a homer.
2: I say we when I'm talking about the Notre Dame football team. And like, I never played on the Notre Dame football team. I say we for all my sports teams, it is probably the habit that I have that I'm the most annoyed by is just inserting myself into every team that I like as if I'm a part of it somehow. Right, right. Well, so Since you have been uh, yesterday
1: around the game currently 2021, and I know you have not been retired very long at all, but I imagine that you have at least thoughts about how you would handle if NIL was happening right now for you on your team. What have you been thinking as you've been watching
4: this unfold across women's college basketball? Kate, I am so worried about the NIL. And I think we have gender inequity right now. We have a lot of issues with that it's going to be so much bigger because all of the big contracts are going to go to football. Then they're going to go to men's basketball. And there are a lot of women who, by their social media and the people that they have following them are are going to do pretty well. You saw Paige Beckers from UConn and a couple of others, but it's a handful of women. I think I read that 80% of the NIL contracts are all going to football. How would you handle it?
1: even within your team, like if you had someone, you know, I mean, you had Enrique. Yeah, there's imbalance within college sports between sports and and then among genders. But then if within your team, you have someone who is making hundreds of thousands of
4: dollars. Yeah. That seems like something you as a coach have to be really cognizant of. Really? You know, I first my first worry was team chemistry. What's that going to look like when you're making all this money? And I'm not. And am I going to feel differently about you on the court? Maybe if you don't get them, maybe I should score more. Maybe I should shoot more. Maybe I need more opportunity. But, you know, we kind of had this. Arike was on Dancing with the Stars, if you remember that. And she did get paid. The NCAA, you know, was able to work something out. So she was able to get paid. And our team loved it. There wasn't anybody on our team that was was not happy that she was getting something they weren't getting. And I think when Skylar Diggins was here, if she would have had a contract for the headband nation, I think, you know, I think everybody would have said, Hey, okay, but there's just so many more opportunities now and you're getting things from TikTok and, you know, from all these different places. So I really worry about the team chemistry. So I I know I would have some rules. Of course, I'm not going to stop anybody from making money, but we would definitely, it would be very open. We would talk about it a lot and make sure we knew how everybody was feeling. Because really as a coach, you can't really control who's going to get a a contract from somebody. Um, But I think like having it be transparent and have a little uh, open communication about, I think would be really important. And
1: even the fact that I think some like outside casual fans of sports just think of it as, okay, well now some college kids might have a Gatorade deal or like a Qdoba or like, you know, Chipotle deal. But I think the thing they don't fully realize is that a lot of these bigger name women's basketball players, the agents are now involved. <laughs> like now you have another relationship that you have to manage that at least on the college level, you could at least say, okay, I'm not dealing with that until maybe the end of senior year when I'm like
4: making some introductions.
1: But now it's like part of that family relationship vibe. Well,
4: you're going to go, go into a high school student's home visit and their agent may be sitting there. <laughs> you know, So you're kind of negotiating with somebody you've you never had to worry about that. And now our kid's going to look and go, oh, Paige got that at Connecticut. Maybe if I go to Connecticut, I'll get that too. So that's going to help them in recruiting. Or if you're on her team, you say she's getting all the attention. Maybe it's time for me to transfer. Maybe if I went to Notre Dame, maybe I'd be the star and I would get more attention. So I think the transfer portal is bad enough. And now you're adding another piece to that where kids maybe aren't happy with what they're getting and what are coaches promising? I mean, I'm sure some are promising big things and they really have no control over it. I mean,
1: finally, UConn will get some attention now. You know, like with Paige's deals. <laughs> yeah. Like, if only people will pay attention to UConn, that would change everything. <laughs>
4: uh, yeah,
1: I, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> later, later, we'll warm you up later. <laughs> <laughs> no, we. You know, one thing Jess and I were talking about before jumping on with you was just because you now, now that you have like the bookend on your coaching career, you have this arc of getting involved in basketball, at St. Joe's coaching there in the early 80s and like you've really seen the change and maybe it's like gaslighting right it's hard to pinpoint like what really dramatically has changed but how can you express to us like what basketball was like when you were playing in college and then when you first started coaching versus what you see now
4: today well and i was playing way back when title nine had just come out and that in fact i went to st joe's that was the first year we had a team so they, they, you know, just answered the call to Title IX. So, you know, we're laundering our own clothes. We're buying everything ourselves. We're driving ourselves to games. We had to buy our own shoes. We, we really had nothing and, and no support in the stands. So in terms of that, it's grown tremendously with scholarships now, uh, with what we do for our players. We're chartering to all of our games. You know, we, we do everything we can for them, including, you know, the academic advising and, and everything that we can do for them on campus. Um, we're trying to help their, them get out involved more in the community. So they get more attention and, you know, what we're getting still only 4% of media attention, right. You turn on sports center, you're not going to see us, but, but we are getting a lot more attention. Um, but I think social media is what really changed it. I, I think when social media came out, suddenly you just, you have more transfers, you have more kids that, and maybe it's this generation, you know, instant gratification, I have players in the WNBA who didn't start until they were juniors. You know, they they waited their turn. They took their time. You know, they were committed to one team. And I don't think you see that anymore. I think you see kids, but mostly parents that are saying, you know what, if it doesn't work out here, let's go somewhere else. You know, we'll, we'll give it a semester. We'll give it a year. And then we're going to move on. So, you know, I think with everything that we've gained, I think we've lost a little bit in terms of the just the commitment, the, the investment that you have in a player. And their loyalty, you know, there's no such thing as loyalty anymore.
2: I was going to ask you a follow up about what you were you were saying about having to, you know, drive the bus and do your own laundry. Um, A couple of weeks ago, Kate told us a story about Pat Summit driving the team to Knoxville in a bus and she had a backup fuel tank and they wouldn't stop for breakfast. It was really, really just like a, f- a funny, interesting Muffet, story of something that Muffet,
1: they had lost their last game before Christmas. And you know how that goes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, yes, that's an, imp-
2: that's an important part. I'm sorry. <sighs> I was wondering if you had any similar stories from when you were coaching or maybe an assistant, or if you have any stories about Pat summit that maybe you'd like to share with us. When I was at Lehigh, we went down to, uh, I think it was
4: Towson and we lost. And so I was just, I was like, and we ain't stopping on the way home. So, I mean, kids were scurrying to the vending machines and trying to hoard crackers in the back of the bus. And, you know, the kids were starving and, and it was only, you know, it was a two and a half, three hour trip, but I totally could see Pat doing that. We played Tennessee one year and of course we, we were 0 and 20 in our first 20 meetings. They beat us at home as they, as they did regularly. And, after the game, she had her team come out and run sprints on my court because they didn't get enough of a challenge really in that game or she didn't <laughs> like something that happened in that game. And I was like, "That is brutal, man. Wait till you get home. You're doing it right on my court." And uh I think I learned a little bit then too. You know, first of all, we got to get better. Um and second of all, boy, she's she's pretty tough. I need to raise the bar a little bit.
2: We talked a little bit also about how what you said, like women are supposed to be humble. And like Kate mentioned an an analogy to a pie where it's like everyone wants to share the pie and we feel lucky that we have a slice of it. Right. So so there's like really a sense of in women's sports, I think more so than than in men's sports, like women are more afraid to go out on a limb and criticize someone else because you want to be respectful. And I think sometimes we see that go to the detriment of creating storylines and creating strong rivalries in the sport. And I'm wondering if that's something that you've ever noticed, especially with Notre Dame's rivalries with, say, UConn or, an, you know, another team, that you felt like there was you never wanted to take it as far as like a, a Notre Dame football fan would take it with, uh, you know, a Michigan or a USC game or something like that. Well, you know, it's interesting. I felt like my relationship with Gino was
4: was very well publicized. And at different times, I would say things, and it would be this giant story of like how awful that was that you said that. And I had other women's coaches, some older women's coaches say, you got to knock that off. I mean, that's just not how you're supposed to be. And he could say anything he wanted, and that was fine. You know, so there was completely different views on what they would accept from a woman and even with the players. I mean, he would say things to his team, and I would be like, dang. I would never say that to my players. Um, and they accept it because you look at guys and you go like, eh, you know, he's just kind of a jerk sometimes. So that's okay. Because we expect men to be that way sometimes. But women were like so sensitive and like, well, maybe she doesn't like me. And I don't think she should talk to me that way. And you know, we expect different things from women leaders also. So I, I think it's really hard for women to be that way. And to, you know, Enrique and Skyler had a swagger. And initially I was a little bit like, you know, we don't have to be beating our chest all the time. You know, we're we're still a team and, and we're supposed to be a little bit more humble. But then I thought, why not? You know, why not allow them to show their confidence? Because it's contagious for the whole team. And it was a great thing for us to have that on our team. I'm always interested in
1: women's basketball in particular, the more mature generation, you know, where, you know, you look up to coaching wise. Yeah. You want to like extract all of the wisdom from it, But at the same time, sometimes the foundational piece of that is the belief that women's sports was created on really rocky ground. And they've lived through what we talked about earlier, where you're driving your van, you're taping ankles. So it's like there's this, like, inside their DNA, this idea that it could go away at any second because they remember a world where it didn't exist. And so it's, like, reticent to rock the boat, like, reticent to actually, like, you know, talk some smack about somebody because it doesn't seem like that's what we should do. That's not role models. We have to just like be okay with what we've gotten. And so I, I like, I have this tug of war too of like, I want all the wisdom from what the game was like in the 70s and 80s, but I also want the 2021 unfortunate way that sports sell now, which is like, give us the honesty about how we really feel. Like
4: I, I imagine you felt that tug of war inside of you too. Oh, totally agree. And I think for women especially, we would go in and we would just be so happy to get what we got. And even this year when you saw what happened at the NCAA tournament and, you know, they had the rack of dumbbells, you know, posing as a weight room. And, you know, back when I was playing, we would have been like, oh, look how nice. They gave us some weights. Isn't that great? You know, and I just finished Billie Jean King's book about, and she talked about how women are happy with the crumbs. Like we're getting crumbs and we're just so happy and so thankful you're letting us play. Oh, and we say thank you so many times. They came out with the NCAA and said, oh, we're going to let you use March Madness as a logo. Oh, gosh, thank you. You know, we're like, damn, it's about time. What have you been waiting for? And I think so my generation, I think, has been fighting this battle for so long that, that we all sometimes look to say thank you more than saying like, yeah, and we deserve more. But we never ask for it. I mean, we are just trained. To get along and go along and be a good sport, take what they give us, and we have to do better. You know, we've we've got to negotiate for raises better. We don't do that. We don't promote ourselves. Uh we don't promote women. We have so many men coaching in our game, and it's just gone the opposite way. It used to be 90% of the coaches were women back when Title IX came out. Now it's forty percent. I mean, we've lost a lot of women in our game, and we have so far to go because when when you have a job open. The men are the one calling, you know, they're, they're being aggressive. They're going for it. They're networking and women are kind of sitting back waiting to be asked.
3: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
1: One of our our season-long conceits on the show, it's called UConn Privilege, right? It's this idea of the outsized influence. Just went to Notre Dame, so obviously she's biased. I played basketball at Colorado, so I'm not a big UConn fan. But the launch point was NECA not making Team USA. And how my perspective at it, knowing a pretty good amount about women's sports, was that if NECA had gone to UConn, there's no way they, they, they don't pick her for Team USA. I'm not asking you to address that. But this trying to share with our listeners like just more perspective on UConn, like their relationship with ESPN, you know, Gino being a dude in the nineties and being able to speak that talk, like, and just the overall sports world, only having room for like one woman at a time or one team at a time. Like there's tons of newspaper writer, uh, editors will be like, well, of course we cover women's college basketball. We did that thing on UConn. So the question is, and we're just asking any athlete or coach who comes on is like, do you think that UConn has outsized influence in women's
4: basketball? Absolutely. And, and I think if you read anything that Candace Parker said, I didn't make the USA team because Gino didn't like me. I, I don't know why, but he didn't like me and I wasn't on the team. And I think that's absolutely true. I think he totally controls who makes the team and who doesn't. Uh, I think there's an incredible bias with their players. If, it, if you recruit a kid and she's ranked 35th in the country and then she signs with UConn, the next time the poll comes out, she's 18th. I think all of their players are on some kind of a watch list right now. They have six players four player of the year candidates on the uh, you know, the player of the year watch. And then we have individual players like for each position. So six of their players are nominated. And if you saw their game after they lost page, you have to wonder, do they really have three other player of the year candidates? But I think there's such a bias in the media that they just go that way. And UConn has done great things and they've won way more than anybody else except Tennessee. And what they've done has been amazing. Uh, I think people measure their, their team by them. When we join the big East, we're like, we want to get to where they are. Like that's what we want to be. We're trying to emulate them. But I think it goes over the top with ESPN. I think that is Connecticut's network. I mean, they, you know, Notre Dame is NBC, Connecticut has ESPN. And that is absolutely complete bias there. No,
1: I think what I appreciate that. Cause one of the things we try to say is like, do we inherently think this is a Yukon problem? Not really. This is more of like, do you think that Yukon gets the magazine covers and all the all the games and all of like the watch lists just solely by merit? There's a lot of it that's merit, but then there's a lot of it where it's like, there's a lot of like men in positions of power who just check a box and they just always check it with Yukon because it's the easiest thing for them, as opposed to actually doing research and being like, well, shit, there's a great player at Iowa. There's a great player over on the West Coast. It's like, why do that work when we
4: can just have UConn on? Yeah, it is absolutely the easy way out. And and I think there are a lot of great coaches out there, but we don't know about any of them because so much of the attention is always on one team. Woo! All right,
1: Jess, we're down a rabbit hole. We made it down here. The thing about this rabbit hole is that I don't have a lot of thoughts for the rabbit hole other than, did you just hear what Muffet said?
2: Yeah, did you bring the champagne? I have uh, champagne and I have chocolate truffles. I heard you like chocolate, so. I I love chocolate. Okay. I particularly like. Here, do you wanna try this? Yeah,
1: is it a caramel?
2: No, it's a truffle.
1: But I like truffles with caramel inside of them. Okay, I didn't get the memo about the caramel. I don't just like truffles in general, I like specific truffles. And I like specific champagne as well. Well, well, how am I supposed to know this? You didn't
2: didn't make a shopping list for me.
1: I thought the second we had confirmation of Yukon privilege, we were gonna do the caramel truffles and the brute we like champagne. The 72
2: dolphins now, <laughs> we just sip champagne every time someone spills the tea on Yukon. <laughs> Kate, I was hoping that we'd get a candid response from Muffet McGraw about Gino Oryama and Yukon um, mm-hmm. because their relationship has been described as like a, a cold war of sorts. It's contentious. Yeah, like, it, you know, what she said was that she feels like she gets more when she says something than he gets when he says something that is similarly controversial um and i think that's an interesting dynamic and probably something that we could we could prove if we really like went down an even further rabbit hole should we go down another rabbit hole I mean, maybe we should but for now
1: you know for now i think should we go back up to this interview now
2: yeah let's hear what else she has to say okay
1: pop let's go Now that we sit here, even starting in like the 90s and like first we had the 30th anniversary of Title IX then the 40th, now we're creeping up on the 50th, which is blowing my mind. One question I've never been able to like wrap my mind around is it's easy for us now to say like Title IX was landmark. But growing up then, did it pass? Like in 1972 when it passed, were there like young little whippersnapper female athletes being like, yay, Title IX passed? Like Like, what? What? What was the knowledge of like what that meant? And like, even when you started playing, like, you, you know, at, at St. Joe's, you said it was the first team because
4: of Title IX. Did you know it was because of Title IX? You know, I don't think I even did. And and the funny thing was, as a, a Catholic kid growing up out in, outside of Philly, the archdiocese of Philadelphia, we had basketball in the late 60s. I mean, we were ahead of the curve, which is shocking, right, for the Catholic Church to have that. But when it came out, I think it was more about education. I think it was more about you know, women can go to med school, women can go to grad school, Um, they're going to be able to have more opportunities. And then looked at it, what's it going to do for sports? Really, initially, all it meant was, people had to offer you a team, like they had to say, we're going to have a basketball team. Now, it didn't have anything, they they didn't give us anything else. But they gave us that, you know, part time coaches, there were so many things that we didn't have. But we were again, we were just so happy to have the opportunity. I've been trying to go back and understand the different rules that
1: existed back when when our game started you know it was like Naism- Naismith and then Senda Berenson and then the women's rules which were like as many players as you had you had to stay in that box and you could only move when the ball was in being passed but you couldn't leave your box like there's just so many variations of rules and they were all meant to you know protect women from uh, you know intense physical activity which uh, obviously is absurd, but
4: yeah, well, I mean, childbirth is a pain-free experience, but running up and down a basketball court, (laughs) my God, like, let's not go that far, but you know, they had six on six in Iowa when I was at Notre Dame coaching. So in the late eighties, early nineties, they were still playing and I played six on six. I played two at one end, two at the other rovers running in between. That was a terrible game. And by high school, of course, we're back to five on five, but that was, that was just a ridiculous version of the game.
1: This is going back to something we, we talked about a few minutes ago about coaches, like since Title IX, like the irony of Title IX being that in some ways it was like a death knell for female coaches because, and I'm not, you know, I'm only telling our listeners this, not you. Once the money came in, men were like, oh, there's money now? Like, I will apply for these jobs. But when I was at Colorado, we had an all-female staff for I think my first two seasons. And then my junior year, we got an assi- a male assistant coach and I remember understanding years later, one of our coaches said, well, the reason we hired him was because we thought we needed him to like go into women's, you know, parents' homes and be able to say, yeah, we have a man too. And I don't, does that resonate with you? This idea that like you, you, at times in your career, you thought, well, I have to have a male on staff or like all of
4: these other X factor reasons I did, and no, but but my reason was the scouting services. All of the AAU programs are coached by men. I mean, ninety-eight percent of them. Most of the women that we have had a male coach in high school. They're they're comfortable, you know, with a male coach. I was the first female that they they ever had for most of them, and I always felt like to get into that little network of guys because there definitely was one in recruiting. You know, they're these are the guys that are doing the scouting services. They're running the camps. It might be good to have a guy on my staff that can kind of get in on that. Uh, then after we got successful, I felt like, I don't need you anymore. Like, we, we can sell ourselves now. But at that point, uh, there was a lot of thought about that.
2: Okay, Muffet, have you ever seen A League of the Owns? Yes. Okay. So in the final scene, one of the final scenes, Dottie is at home plate and catches the ball, and Kit is running towards home, and she drops it. Slash, it falls out of her mitt. Yeah. Kate and I have been debating on this podcast if we think Dottie purposely dropped the ball or... If, you know, Kit hit her so hard that it fell out, whatever, and it was was an accident. And I'm wondering if you, what your read on that film is, if you've ever thought about this.
4: She absolutely dropped the ball on purpose. Wow. I think because you could tell throughout the movie, like, it wasn't that important to her. You know, she really, she wanted to go back home and, and have kids. And that was what she wanted. This was just something to do in the interlude. Whereas Kit was the competitor. She really wanted to win. She was, you know, she was the one that wanted to be on the team. Which leads to two follow-ups. One, who do you identify more with, Kit or Dottie? Kit. But you know what? I like Dottie too. Like there was, I think there's parts of, parts of her that were in the leadership category I thought was pretty good. So Jess
1: and I also have not really argued, but we disagree on this front. Would you ever, if, would you ever let anyone win? If it was like a young person or if emotionally in like, like the Kit Dottie situation. There's a lot
4: of variables at play. This isn't just
1: like one of of your kids. Yeah.
4: I'm laughing because the answer is a hard no. Oh, I used to play games with my son all the time, and then at some point, somebody goes, well, don't you ever let him win? I was like, what? I'm <laughs> supposed to let him win? How's he going to learn about the facts of life? You know, this is this is like a life lesson here. you got to come out ready. If you got to do it yourself. So, no, I never let anyone win. <laughs>
5: As a coach for a major college program, we know you love to win. But keeping up with recruiting can be hard. All that hustle, just to sign a few kids? You don't have time to fly around the country to meet every high school star you aren't getting any younger, and those La Quinta mattresses aren't doing you any favors. At Recruiter Recruiter, we offer professional athletic recruiting surrogates that dress exactly like you, khakis and a polo with the latest J to convince yourself you're not middle-aged, and they go in your stead. Just take this simple four-hour compatibility survey, and we match you with the perfect recruiter surrogate that can be on a plane to Wickenburg, Arizona in no time. And if you sign up in the next 48 hours, Recruiter Recruiter will give you access to our newest technology that disappears Venmo payments. poof, Like it never happened to. Well, we don't need you to tell us who. Frankly, we don't want to know. But that's not all. It also automatically replies with supportive emojis and relatable gifs in every Snapchat and TikTok post in your network. Your top recruit posted a slow-mo video of himself dunking over his high school mascot? We got that double-tapped, fire-emojied, and winky-faced instantly. No more trawling social media all night long. Sit back and enjoy season two of Ted Lasso, just like everyone else. Recruiter, recruiter. Because it's okay to take shortcuts when you're in a $19 billion industry where everyone works for free except you.
1: The concept of sliding doors is a through line of much that I find fascinating. The role fate plays in the smallest things, the minor detours or rerouting of individual lives. And also fate's influence on the eventual behemoths of our world the entities that after decades seemed too big to have ever been influenced by the small weather patterns of chance. They weren't always so seemingly intractable. Luck must have aided them along the way. Somewhere on their path, they faced a sliding doors moment. How did Nike become Nike? On some other planet in the multiverse, did Phil Knight's car break down on the way to an Oregon track meet and he never sold those waffle runners out of his trunk? Never put them on the feet of Steve Prefontaine? All because of, I don't know, a flat tire? Whenever I spot a moment with outsized influence, whether real or projected, my curiosity peaks. Could it be that some small moment like this set us on a path? And if we go back to that moment and imagine a different outcome, might the world look nothing like it does? If we believe this to be true, how tenuous our world becomes, Nothing is inevitable. Today, in sports, the dominance of the Yukon Huskies seems routine, inevitable. They are college basketball's Goliath. 11 NCAA titles in the past 30 years. But if we go back to the summer before that first ever title, to a simple phone call made in 1994, is it possible we find ourselves at a sliding doors moment? The results of which puts UConn on the downhill path towards supremacy?
0: I was given the task of scheduling all the women's basketball games, and at the time we only had ESPN.
1: Here's Carol Stiff, who after 31 years at ESPN retired as Vice President of Programming and Acquisitions in 2021.
0: We only had a handful of games, so we had this one o'clock opening on ESPN. I was starting to put the matchups together and all you had to do were depth charts like any coach would do. You see who they recruit. This team looks like they're going to be pretty good. This team looks like they're going to be pretty good. And then you ask them to play each other if they're not the same conference. So, of course, I knew this team out of UConn with Jen Rizzotti and Jamel Elliott and Lobo
1: were going to be pretty good. The game that Carol needed to schedule to be played at 1 p.m. on ESPN also needed to be played at the home arena of the Big E school per the contracts the conferences had signed with ESPN. Carol knew this was a hurdle. Not many head coaches would be willing to take a game against UConn on UConn's home floor. But she had her pitch ready. Martin Luther King Day, ESPN, National TV, Robin Roberts calling. Simply
3: put, it doesn't get any better than this in college basketball. A seven
1: Carroll went first to North Carolina to coach Sylvia Hatchell, whose Tar Heels had just won the title on a buzzer-beating three-pointer by Charlotte Smith. Here comes Lawrence, Beats inside, outside, Charlotte Smith, three-pointer on the way, and it's
3: good!
2: Good! The Tar
5: Heels are the national champions!
0: I called Sylvia Hatchell, national champion coach, and said, hey, would you... Take this game. It's going to be a Martin Luther King. It's going to be on ESPN. And, you know, Robin Roberts and Mimi Griffin calling it. What do you think? And I just laid low. And she said, I'll play the game if it's at Chapel Hill. And I said, you know, maybe a year later we could do that. But no, this year it has to be at Big East. It has to be. And she said, no, I, I don't want the game. You know, I said, ESPN, one o'clock, you know, no, no, no. I said, you. Sure, you know, gave her a chance.
1: No, came the response. And so Carol thanked Coach Hatchell and moved on. She already had an idea for who she would call next.
0: I've always felt a tremendous responsibility as a coach and as a teacher to give to this game. I could never give to this game what this game has given or meant to me. It has changed my life for the better. It has allowed me to then share everything I've learned from my family and the value system through the game of basketball. I've always wanted to promote it and I've always wanted to give back to it. Called Pat Summit. Hey Pat, same exact script. Got this game, this window, has to be a Big East. I think UConn's gonna be pretty good. I know it's in January. I know you're in the SEC conference scheduling. I, I know you're probably going to have some tough games around the game, but what do you think? Geez, Carol, you know, I'm playing Auburn on Sunday or Saturday, and, oh, and then i got to fly up to you know, Hartford. And it's really tough.
1: Silence filled the line, but Carol didn't say a word allowed the legendary Tennessee coach to process the information, to run through scenarios. Allowed her, maybe, to see the bigger picture. A beat later, Pat's voice filled the line. Yes, I'll do it, for the good of the game. Nearly nine months later, it's mid-January. The day of the matchup and Tennessee is the number one team in the country. UConn is number two. Until this game, UConn is the pesky upstart, the rural Connecticut team still trying to prove itself. Tennessee, meanwhile, is royalty, with Pat Summit as its venerable and intimidating leader. As promised, Robin Roberts is calling the game.
3: A sellout crowd here at Gamble Pavilion on the University of Connecticut campus. Eight- 2,241 and then some have come to see the top two teams in women's basketball. It is fitting that we have a dream matchup for a Martin Luther King holiday game, top-ranked Tennessee and number two Connecticut.
1: That week's national poll has been held, pending the outcome of this showdown. The air is thick with excitement and expectation. And around the country, people are turning on ESPN in unprecedented numbers. It's not just the clash between number one versus number two that piques people's interest, it's the dichotomy between the two teams. Different in almost every way. The Southern dynasty of Tennessee versus the Northern newcomer. The brashness of UConn coach Gino Ariema versus the Regal Summit. It was everything ESPN could have hoped for, drawing a rating nearly five times the average, with a new generation watching the Huskies plant their flag as contenders. Winning 77-66 and dogpiling at center court. It will be official later in the day, Connecticut number one
3: for the first time in school history. They have defeated the previously unbeaten Tennessee Lady balls.
1: The Huskies would go undefeated that season, 35-0. Winning the program's first national championship, defeating Tennessee, Again, in the title game, they would be enshrined on the cover of Sports Illustrated, inspiring the next generation of young talent to consider stores as one of the preeminent destinations to play their college ball. Maybe it all would have ended the same, no matter what Pat Summit had said on the phone call six months prior. Or maybe Summit declines the game entirely or forces it to be played at Tennessee perhaps ruining UConn's undefeated season in the media's and ESPN's burgeoning obsession with the Huskies. We'll never know. What we do know is that afternoon in 1995, after the game, Carol walked toward the Tennessee locker room.
0: And there is Pat, outside the locker room, looking at the stats, angered face, and uh, all alone. And as I approach her, she looks up, and I, I was like, this is going to be an unbelievable rating. This is a, ra- like, and it was. And she said, for the good of the game. That's all she said.
1: Jess, that is the end of today's show, but there's Aww. a. I know, it's upset. It's sad. It's a good one. It was really good. Like, really good. Yeah. And if you agree that it was good, you should leave a review or rate this podcast. But I really am. Thrilled that Coach McGraw was Coach. on the show. Thank you, Coach. <laughs> Thank you, Coach. And speaking openly and honestly and candidly. Yeah. And joining Candace Parker and Simone Augustus on the side of UConn's the outside right. influence. Yeah, the
2: right side of history. Yeah. Um, the, the correct side. The yes. correct yes. side. Yes. Yeah. Um, Kate, are we at all worried that we're alienating Yes. fans yes. of the pod yes. who may be UConn yes. basketball fans? Yes. Okay. Should we say anything to them? Because I, I, I feel like a lot of women's sports fans, their entry point is UConn's, UConn basketball. And we want yeah. those people to still like us. Here's what we do. Here's okay. what we do. Yeah. To the half of the population who
1: agree with UConn's outside influence, and that is not their entry point, we are very serious and earnest about this pursuit. To the people who love UConn, it is all a
2: joke. Yeah. We were just, <laughs> I mean, God. We were just trying to have fun. It's a comedy. Lighten up. It's a comedy podcast. Like, we have fake ads. Like, we have, you know, we do sketches. Uh, thank you, Nameless Numberhead, for Recruiter, Recruiter. Yes. Muffet also might have been kidding. Like, we don't really know her intentions, yes. right? Like, we were on Zoom. We were an equal opportunity joke factory here. She might have had her fingers crossed under the table. She knew. She knew. It was scripted. It was scripted. That is the answer. Her answers were written by Adam McKay. Yes!
1: (laughs) Thank you, Muffet McGraw, for voicing... Coach, it's Coach. Coach McGraw for voicing Adam McKay's
2: delicious script. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, But really, thank you, Coach McGraw, for coming on. We appreciate your wisdom and your wise words. And thank you, Kate, for telling the story of... Sliding Doors it's Professor Professor Ka- Oh my god I can't believe I already forgot Thank you Professor Thank you Carol Siff Who was one of the voices in Sliding Doors That's right Thanks
1: to you for producing and co-hosting this show As well as to Carl Scott Who is the executive producer And the musical soundtrack mastermind of this show Carl should release an album We should have a, a, a playlist on Spotify or something There's a lot of things that we need Yeah Yeah Like I mean like merch and album and tour Like yeah. all of this is obviously in motion
2: yeah, um, headphones that don't shed on our ears. That's the, the baseline that we'd like to do, <laughs> that we'd like to achieve next. <laughs> um, so thanks for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review, give us a five-star rating, tweet at us, tell your friends about it. Most importantly, spread spread the gospel of Out the Looking Glass, and we'll be back in a couple weeks with another show. That was excellent. Thanks. If you're a professor, who am I?
1: <laughs> um, no, you're not pupil. That's too
2: much of a power dynamic. Am I like a TA, teacher's assistant? <gasps>
1: Maybe you're the dean. Eh, that's too uh, too stuffy. Yeah, Sandra O. Oh. Did you watch the chair? Damn, so many cultural references. I that know, I'm I'm, f- I'm missing out on very stupid. The suggestion is here that that undefeated season helped along by the fact that the Vols traveled up to Bristol. Wow, that is a forty slip. Three, two. That the vault. Well, wow, that's so funny that I just said that. Given all of UConn, <laughs> we, you should, we purposes, should leave this. Out. Should. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Should I? I'm gonna keep going though. Okay. Just
2: keep going. Power okay. through.
1: <laughs> I mean, travel to stores, Connecticut, an easier place to beat.